I really do want to thank um, Keith and Parker for coming this morning and and uh, lending a helping hand. And as we kind of shared with you guys last week, we're kind of in the midst of um, some uncertainty a little bit when it comes to worship. But um, here's here's the cool part: um, while in our own realm we may be uncertain, God is not. God's sovereign, and we're going to talk about it today. And so. Um, God has a master plan for us, and I'm excited to see what that plan is. So while I um, wax eloquently to give you enough time to find our book of the Bible, we are starting a new study today. Last, the last three previous weeks, we were going through the book of Habakkuk. I've been kind of in my own personal quiet time. I've been working through some of the minor prophets, and, and so we're going to spend a little bit more time in the minor prophets. We're going to go to Jonah. Okay, and so I'm going to give you guys a little bit of time to find Jonah. You may need to go to the uh, table of contents. Don't worry. Don't, 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 don't sweat that part. I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I cheated. I put a bookmarker in my Bible before I got up here so I could open it up there. But, but open up to, to Jonah. Jonah's a, a very short book, uh, only four chapters, 48 verses. Um, in my Bible, it's all of two and a half pages. And so it's easy to miss but um, I do want to just, in, in not necessarily in passing, I want to mention just a couple of things before we get into the, to the sermon. I, you know, I, I uh, got a text message this morning from a parent of one of our, our youth, and um, she was just sharing with me the news of uh, an accident I, that took place Friday morning with um, some students from Childs. And uh, yesterday morning, okay. Saturday morning, and, and while I don't know the details, and, um, and the reality is the details aren't the most important thing, um, but, but when tragedy strikes, and we've talked about tragedy um, on a few occasions, when tragedy strikes, it, it, it has this effect on more than just, you know, like the immediate family, and for this, you have um, students, kids, um, high schoolers, middle schoolers that are struggling, wrestling with, with whys and whats and all of that kind of stuff. And how could these things happen? And, and then not only do we have students that wrestle with that, we have families that wrestle with that. Moms and dads and grandparents and cousins and maybe siblings. And why, 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 why could this, why now, why? And, um, you know, we spent the last several weeks in Habakkuk. And Habakkuk wrestled with those same questions. Why, why, why? The reality is, um, we don't always know why. And that's hard, that's hard to accept. Um, in our own minds, we, wanna, we want a detailed plan. We want to know the reasons why these things occur. We want to know um, when we're going to get out of the valleys. We want details. And um, one of the things I want to encourage us, as I, I mentioned last week, is um, when it comes to God in our lives, we need to come to a, a place where we quit. We quit wrestling for the reasons and resting in the sovereignty. Like God never loses control. God's always on his throne. He's always under control. And even though the plan isn't what we want, what we understand, what we need, what we, all those things. God's much bigger, much larger, much greater 
than us. Um, as adults, it's a little bit easier for us to get that. High schoolers, middle schoolers, it's not so easy. And so my encouragement to us as a faith family um, is if you know the family, if you know um, kids associated with the school, that you love on them. That's the thing they need the most right now is just love. Just love. I mean, an arm around them, love, prayers and love. And um, they don't need answers. They just need an ear and a hug. And, and so I, I pray that that's what we do. And, and, and so, so keep um, those families, um, the schools, all that stuff, keep them in your prayers. And, um, and if we have anybody who has connections and there's something that we can do as a faith family, by all means, let me know and we'll do whatever we can. But I, I do know the, the single most important thing we can do is pray. So pray for them and those involved. And then second, we've, a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, I guess now, or close to it, we had, um, we brought a family up in front of the church that we prayed over. If you remember, um, Eric Marshall has been battling some kidney issues, and he actually just had his third kidney transplant. And, and Eric's a 30-year-old guy in tip-top shape. And, uh, and he actually got his kidney from his sister-in-law. Kalen. So a lot of us know um, the Harringtons, Miss Kim, um, was often downstairs rocking babies, and, um, and then Kalen. And we've been praying, and Kalen had some, some issues and got sick again, and apparently she decided to have another organ taken out. She had her gallbladder removed, I guess, about a week or so ago, and she's back home feeling much, much better. But Eric's been struggling, and Eric's been at Shans now for a little over a week, and he's got some antibodies that are... Um, attacking the kidney already and so he's been going through some blood treatments and I went out and saw him on Thursday and I was giving him a hard time because he looks like something out of Hunger Games or something he's got like things coming out of his neck and out of his side and stuff but um, but they're aggressively treating this and and the good news is that the treatment seems to be working and uh, they they they're hoping by Thursday or Friday of this coming week that he may be able to come back home and so, um, so continue to keep them in your prayers. I mean, you know, again, you have Eric, who's 30. His wife's about the same age. They have a little one, one-and-a-half-year-old, something like that. And um, Lindsay, his wife, she, you know, she burnt most of her vacation time with the whole transplant surgery. And so it's just kind of hard, you know, and Shans is two hours away and just, just a lot of chaos. Um, but I, I can tell you this. This is what's so awesome. I sat with Eric, and we were talking. And one of the joys I guess I have as, as being a pastor is when you get those moments where you sit down and have like real conversations with people like in, in tough predicaments. And, and those are things like I, I've, I've never had an organ transplant. I've, quite honestly, I think the most intense of a surgery I've ever had was having my wisdom teeth taken out, right? So it doesn't really correlate, right? And so um, knock on wood. Um, and so I'm talking with Eric and, and he just starts opening his heart to me. I don't think he would mind me saying this, but he just says, you know, I just don't want God to think I'm a hypocrite. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to him now, and I don't want him to think like I only want to talk to him when I'm in a jam, when I'm in need. And you know, how awesome is that? When, when, when people are aware of that predicament, when, when people are aware of that, so often, I, I mean, I, I left his room with my head hanging because I'm like, Wow. Like, he's aware of it, and how often am I not aware of it? 
Like, how often do I treat God like my little genie? And I'm excited, I'm happy when he's making all the wishes come true. But here you have a guy who's, who's content with where he's at in life, and his only worry is he doesn't want God to think that he only wants to be around him when he's sick. And so, um, so continue to pray for them. I, I know that... Um, I know it will mean a lot to them and, and all. So, Anyways, with that said, hopefully we found Jonah by now. Um, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to read the first 10 verses today and, uh, and just try and break it down a little bit, and then we'll see where the Holy Spirit leads us. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come upon me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he said, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. I don't have a speech impediment. I feel like every time I say that, I'm slurring away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it from them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7 says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we, may, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. When they, then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Let's pray. Lord, um, this morning, as we begin um, going through this book of Jonah. I mean, a familiar story. I mean, a story that most of us, I dare not say all of us here, have heard. Lord, I pray that you help help us to be able to see what you were trying to share here. Help us to, to see this unrelenting God of grace. Lord, I pray that you you press your words upon our heart. Lord, I pray that you reveal what needs to be revealed to us today. God, I pray that I'm faithful to your words. I pray that this next few moments is not built around what I say, what I think, what I believe, but squarely centered on you. So God, give me your thoughts, give me your heart, Give me your strength. Give me your passion. In your son's name we pray. Amen. This um, story, this, this book of the Bible, 
It's one of those stories that we're so familiar with, right? And so whenever I say, when I say Jonah, what's the first thing you think of? What? Whale, right? Like automatically, like our, our minds go straight to the whale, doesn't it? We say Jonah, boom, we think of the whale as if almost the, the whale is the star of this particular book or this particular story. If we we're going to make a movie out of this, though, um, we'd have to understand that the whale would only get a cameo appearance. You, you, if you read through this 48 verses, you'll notice that the great fish or whale is only mentioned four times. Okay, so, so this story really isn't about a whale. It's about God and God's grace and a rebellious prophet. When we look at the first three verses that we read, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come upon me, or come before me. So, so very beginning, very, I mean, the first verse of Jonah, God speaks to Jonah, and he gives him a job to do. If you remember, we talked about this a little bit with Habakkuk. So you have these 12 books that make up the minor prophets. And the minor prophets are not minor in that they're unimportant. It's just that most of these books are, are shorter. And so typically what would happen, um, these, these prophets would get a word from God to go and do something, tell their people. And typically it was warnings, 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 warnings. And, and, and so what we said about Habakkuk, Habakkuk was different because the warning wasn't to the other country. There's, there was a conversation between Habakkuk and God, back and forth, back and forth. Jonah's unique to the other prophets in that God gives him a job to do, and it was to, to leave his homeland and go to another area and warn them. And that other area is Nineveh. Nineveh would be in modern-day Iraq. Jonah himself um, lived just outside of Nazareth. And rather than go and follow what God had called him to do, he decides to run. It, almost literally. Because he has to go to Joppa, which is 50 miles away from where he lives. So he travels by foot 50 miles to get in this boat. And then in the boat, from the boat, he's supposed to go to Tarshish, which is almost the opposite end of the known world during this day. He is trying to get as far away from God's calling as possible. Nineveh, Nineveh is this great city. I, I was trying to do a little bit of research about this, this, this week. And check this out, guys. To me, this is insane because if you're like me, sometimes in my mind, like when you start thinking about these old Bible days, we think of like these little rubbly cities, maybe, you know, mud huts and whatever else. But, but this city of Nineveh, they had 1,200 towers that were 200 feet tall. Get that 1,200 towers that were 200 feet tall. They had this wall that surrounded the city that was 100 feet tall, and it was wide enough that you could ride three chariots on top of. That's a pretty intense wall. They um, estimate that the population of Nineveh, and, and actually Jonah um, later on towards the end, I think chapter 3, says that there was about 120,000 people in Nineveh. 
To, to give us a perspective on that, in Tallahassee, um, the, the last census, I believe, showed that there was just over 180,000 people in Tallahassee. So you're talking about a city slightly smaller than Tallahassee. 1,200 of these towers, 200 feet tall, a wall surrounding the city, which the, the city in circumference was over 60 miles. Okay, this is a pretty big city. And this is a very wicked city. Uh, the, the capital, if you will, of the Assyrian Empire. These are Gentiles. Jonah's a Jew. And God's giving Jonah the call to go to these people. A very vile, violent group of people. A group that, that worshipped many, many gods. And the, the, the call that Jonah has is big. And sometimes, if you're like me, you read the story, and at first you think, wow, man, Jonah's just, he, he, he's, he's too concerned that the job is too big for him. Like, like I'm, I'm too small, it's too big. Um, what, if, what if they go there, and what if they make fun of me? What if, what if they reject what I'm going to say? And the sad truth is, in a few weeks when we get towards the end of this, this book, we realize that that's not the case. That's not why Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. Jonah's concern was that he knew that God was gracious. And he knew that if God was sending him, that God would change the hearts of the people. And we see this very sad sense of what we could consider racism today. Where Jonah did not want those people to change. Jonah did not want those people to accept God. Jonah wanted God to pour this wrath on these people. And that's why he did not want to go to Nineveh. I think even in these first three passages, the first three verses, we, we see three things in relation to Jonah. Three things that, that we could say that God, that, three ways in which we can say that, that Jonah did not share the heart of God. The first one, I, I think, is we can see that, that Jonah did not have the same sensitivity towards sin that God did. See, God's holy God. He's, he's righteous. He can't handle sin. He, he is separate from sin. He can't look upon sin. You know, there's a, a sense, I believe, today um, that I, I believe, to a certain extent, one of the saddest communities should be the church. You think, wow, wow, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, we, we should be happy. We should be excited. Yeah, but here's the deal. Um, our hearts should be pricked with compassion over people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You, you know that... Um, there, like I said earlier, there, there's just over 180,000 people in Tallahassee. I think if you were to look at 
whatever you want to call the Tallahassee region. When you include Gadsden and Wakulla, Leon County, there's a little over 325,000 people. But if we just think of our own city, they estimate that approximately 18% attend church. That's just attend. That, that, that doesn't even mean that they're fully committed. doesn't mean that they're born-again believer. That just means that they go to church on occasion. That, that number is, um, that means approximately on any given Sunday, and that would probably mean on Easter Sunday, about 32,000 people go to church in Tallahassee. Which means that there are over 147,000 people not in church. Like that's huge. Like that's mammoth. When we, we talk about this um, frequently, that, that the Bible tells us that there's this wide road that leads to destruction, and then there's a narrow road. And folks, I don't know how clear of a picture that we need to understand that, that our city, in great mass, is huddled down this wide road. I mean, that, that, that is going straight to hell because they have never accepted the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Like, when we think about that as a church, when we think about it as just, as just a, a person, our hearts should break. I mean, to think that so many are going like, we have to do something. We must fill the gap. We must try and grab them and take them to the narrow road. To just sit and stand and watch should be unacceptable. Like, I love our faith family. Like, I, I don't know, I can't express it enough to you guys. And we have a lot of people out this week for various things. But our motivation should be to try and fill this house of worship, not so people can come and just listen to me wax eloquent. Not that they should come to hear people like Keith and Parker lead us in worship but so they can come and hear about Jesus Christ our mission statement is we exist to see souls saved and lives changed like we should do everything in our power to try and change the path that so many are on Like I, I, I fear, even in my own life, that we get so distraught. I get so distracted with everything else, and I, and I, I can be so content with where I'm at and, and the things that I have. 
that sharing the love of Jesus with somebody is almost an afterthought. So I think the first thing that we see in, in this, even these first three verses where we see Jonah running from God, that we see that he does not share the same heart that God has towards sin. The second thing we see that Jonah does not share God's unshakable commitment to God's plan. Jonah doesn't have very thick skin. Um, Jonah's, to a certain extent, maybe a prophet of convenience. And here we have God calling him to something big, something great. And he allows his own prejudice to change what he's going to do. Always going to serve God. The people he's willing to go and share the gospel with. Hear me when I say this. And one of the things I love about us being a church plant, we're still new. We're just over a year old. So we're still like at the foundation. We're like at the building blocks. And this is awesome. Like I've had a a chance to talk with some people who are like in some of these older established churches and, and, and they're like these big huge tankers like if they want to make a change they have to go through something that takes so long to be able to do something. We don't. If we, we feel God's calling us to do something we just go and we do. But folks this room should be filled with sinners just like us. And when I say that, like, I believe God's calling us to, to reach those who do not know Christ, that means those people don't know Christ, which means their lives are probably messy. Like, we should not expect people to come into this building understanding the rules of our faith. And then um, the third thing I think that we see is Jonah did not share God's heart of grace. You know, I, I think that we can look at this book, and if we we're going to have one key word to describe this book, it would be grace. In fact, if I were you, you have your Bibles right above Jonah, I would write grace. Your mind's you think, well, whoa, whoa, hold up. Like, this is a call of judgment. God's coming to Jonah and, and he's threatening to judge Nineveh. How is that grace? Well, the grace is that he's announcing it, he's giving Nineveh a second chance. He's giving Nineveh the opportunity to change, to repent, to turn from their wicked ways, and to follow him. Not only do we see God's unrelenting grace with the Nineveh, we see it even more so with this arrogant prophet, Jonah. That's where the hope comes in here. Because after verse 3, as we, and this is what, I, in verses 2 and 3, 
I would underline this in verse 3, it says, or I'm sorry, 3 and 4, it says, but uh, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That's pretty big. Like he's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now we know this. God's omnipotent. Like we cannot outrun God. But I also know that we're human. In our lives, we can think of those times when we knowingly turned our back on what God wanted us to do, what what God had called us to do, um, our, our relationship with God. And when we turn our back on God, God's not moving, but we are. And it's in those moments that we slip and we fall. I mean, I've shared with you guys before my own struggles in the past with alcohol. I I remember um, going off to a Christian college. Like, I don't know that there is a more conservative Christian college in this country or this world. Like, I dare say it's a military academy that uses a Bible. Okay? Like, it's pretty straight-laced. Like, I mean, to the point, like, I'm pretty sure I had to have pleats in my khaki pants straight. Okay? And in that situation, I was able to, to, as a Bible major, I was able to turn from God and get in the wrong crowd. It's not what God wanted me to do. It's not what God was preparing me to do. But that's not what I wanted to do. So I I ran. I struggled with that. It was, it was something I, in my life I would struggle with for several years. Verse 4 says, um, and this is where we begin to see the grace of God. So Jonah gets to Joppa, gets aboard this boat. He's going to go to Tarshish, which is like modern day in Spain. And on this trip, God harnesses nature. Like, think about, like, think about how amazing, how strong, how awesome God is. Like, God's got a plan. He's going to accomplish it, whether we want to do it or not. Like, in our own um, arrogance, in our own um, sinful nature, we can try and run from God, but God's um, big enough that he can turn around and, like, a spin of his finger starts a storm in the ocean to come. And obviously it must have been a pretty intense storm because um, these seasoned sailors, these mariners, were scared. And, and they began to throw the cargo over the ships. Now again, if you think about this, like this is cargo. This, these are possessions. This, this is something that's either close to them or something that has a value to them. They're throwing it over the boat with the hope that this boat doesn't capsize, hope that the boat doesn't break. They begin to start praying to their gods. Like, and you look in your Bible, it's lowercase g with an s at the end. Like, they're so confused. Like, they don't even know who to pray to. They're praying to everything and, I mean, anything and everything. They're, they're shouting out, praying, and, and nothing is happening. And meanwhile, while all this is occurring, Jonah's underneath the boat, 
sleeping. So they run downstairs and they shake him, wake him up, and they tell him, hey, why don't you try and pray to your God? And I think we see something pretty interesting in this passage. He begins to, um, to pray, obviously, and then in verse 7 it talks about how they begin to cast lots. Okay, they're going to gamble to figure out who's in trouble, who's the one that started this thing, who did this. And while they do this, it finds out that it, the loser is Jonah. So they turn to they're like, well, who are you? What do you do? What's causing this? And listen, I mean, I, you can underline this in your Bibles. Verse 9, like we see great theology. Like Jonah understands this. He goes, hey, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Like he knows it. Like he turns him in. Think through this. Jonah knows Jesus. He, he knows God. He's a believer. Um, he should be going this way. He's running the opposite way. Sinners, people who don't know Christ, they're the ones that are going to point Jonah back to where his attention should be. So not only does God use this massive storm, God uses people that don't even know him. And he goes, listen, I'm, I fear the Lord. He made the heavens and the sea. And so their response is, what did you do? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Um, you know, today I, I wonder sometimes, in church as a whole. Like, we do a lot of talk, I think, nowadays, and good, this is good, about theology. About learning what theology is and how important theology is. And it is, it's good. But sometimes I wonder, um, if we're a church that's just frozen in theology, Like, we know what we believe. We know what we're supposed to do. But knowing and doing could be two different things. Eugene Peterson, in one of his books, wrote that... Um, made the statement, he goes, the Holy Trinity has been replaced by a new Trinity. So our Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, has been replaced by a new Trinity. The holy wants, the holy needs, and the holy feelings. See, rather than allowing God to direct us, We allow our wants, our needs, and feelings to determine our path. One of my favorite authors is um, Paul David Tripp, and he wrote this. He goes, if your life isn't shaped and directed by the plan of God, it will be ruled by your desire. Let me read that again. Think, think through this. 
if your life isn't shaped and directed by the plan of God, it will be ruled by your desire. That's Jonah. Jonah received a call. This is what's amazing, folks. Somehow along the way, so often in church, in our own lives as Christians, a light initially goes on where we see the grace of God and we accept a gift, the gift of salvation, something that we know and we realize that we can't get ourselves, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Right? God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? These things that were done for us, like we, the light goes off in our head that the grace of God overwhelms us and we accept this gift. And then somehow, in a relatively quick amount of time, we somehow turn very self-righteous to where we begin to focus on things that we don't like versus the things that we do like. We begin to focus in on the people that we don't like, the lifestyles that we don't like, the, the, the sins that we don't like rather than focusing in on the glory of God. Again, I'm not saying there's never a time that we don't stand up for things. In fact, I believe it's critical that we stand for it. But somehow in our lives, Self-righteousness begins to grip our hearts. And then the decisions that we make following the will of God becomes this voyage in which we just want Him to endorse our own holy wants, our own holy needs, and our own holy feelings. My question for us this morning is this. Do we love God for who and what he is? Like, are we so in love with him that, that no matter what he says, no matter what he calls us to do, that we are going to pursue that with reckless abandon because we know that he's big enough, he's strong enough. Or are we going to step back and say, I'll follow if you do A, B, and C. And then continue doing A, B, and C. 
not to ruin the end of the story. Jonah, as we know, goes to Nineveh. And he preaches. The Bible tells us that the entire city turns to God. Folks, it's, as best we can tell, the largest revival that's ever taken place. Now, over 120,000 people coming to know God. And throughout this story of Jonah, we're going to see this God who will not give up a Nineveh or Jonah. And I have to believe this. If you're anything like me, there's some here today that are almost in the same predicament that Jonah was in. That you're running. That, 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 that you're running from God. That God's calls you to do something, whatever that is. And maybe you feel you're too inadequate for it. Maybe you, you feel um, you're not good enough for it. Maybe, maybe you're just too concerned with, with the, the provisions. Whatever excuse you might have in your mind, there's something that's causing you to run from God. You're running away from the presence of the Lord. And you're pursuing your holy wants, needs, and feelings. God never promises an easy life. But he promises his son. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts, not your thoughts, nor my ways, your ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and thoughts. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isaiah paints that picture. In our own minds, like we can only see so far. We can only understand so much. There's a lot of stuff that we don't know. We don't know the outcome. But God does. And God's a God of second chances. And third chances and fourth chances. God will pursue and pursue and pursue and pursue. He will always be pursuing us. So I don't know where you're at, but I know God's pursuing you. And there may be a storm in your life. Maybe God's using that storm as difficult as it is to wake you up grab you by the shoulders and say, come on, get up.
That's grace. So often we hate the storms, don't we? See, if God wasn't gracious, he wouldn't bring the storms in our lives. Like, to me, like, if, if, if Chad's God, um, the book of Jonah would have ended at verse 3. Okay, after he decides to run and flee from the presence of the Lord, like, I would have been, all right, fine, you're done, Jonah. Go do your thing. Good luck, have fun. We'll see who wins this one. But God doesn't. And so whatever storm you may have in your life, maybe it's him trying to gently, maybe it's not so gentle. Say, wake up. Stop running. Come back home. Maybe for us as a church, we need to be reminded of our Nineveh. I heard a really interesting statement this week. I don't remember, it was a pastor, I don't know his name, so I can't give him credit. But he made this very profound statement. And he said, the problem with America is not the sinners sinning, but the Christians hiding Jesus. The problem with America is not the sinners sinning, we can point out all the faults, can't we? We can say who's to blame. We can say how we shouldn't be doing this, this, and this. I mean, we've, we've railed on the redefinition of marriage by our country. We've talked about legalization of drugs. Like this last week, I don't, I'm about to stop watching TV. I want to put my head in a closet and not even think about everything that's going on. I, not only do you hear these things about ISIS, and all of that tragedy. You can turn on Fox News and, and, and you see these reports of just outrage from ISIS. And then the next follow-up story is a story about Bruce Jenner. It's messed up. It's messed up. problem with America is not the sinner sinning. It's us, the Christians, hiding Jesus. Those mariners, those seamen on his boat, storm going on in their lives. They don't know who to turn to. They're turning to anything and everything. And the one who knew the answer was down below the ship sleeping. And my fear of Chad Clement is that for too long I've been below deck sleeping. And it has to stop. As your pastor, it has to stop. But more importantly, as someone who claims to follow Jesus Christ, it has to stop. Those mariners were upset with Jonah because he had the answers. I believe maybe I'm being over-optimistic, 
The Bible does talk about, in the end times, an outpouring of the Spirit. My heart tells me, through Scripture, that we're getting close to these end times. (laughs) I'm not going to project a date, don't worry. But I'll tell you this, I believe our country is ripe for revival. I believe our city is ripe for revival. We see people pursuing anything and everything, looking for answers, and they can't find it. Because the only answer is Jesus, and we have it. So I hope and pray that you join me in saying enough is enough. I'm going to stop hiding my faith. I'm going to stop hiding Jesus. And I'm going to start telling people about him. So I'm not sure today we talked a pretty wide spectrum we talked about those who may be running from something. We, we talked about those who are in need of grace. There might be some here today who are like those mariners in the boat who don't know Jesus, have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. You've called out to anything and everything. But today, today you want to call out to Jesus. I'm not sure. But I am sure that God is pursuing you and me. Everyone in Tallahassee, the United States, and around the world. Let's pray. Lord, um, I thank you for this day and for all the things that you've done for us. God, I thank you that you give us this story of Jonah. And Lord, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where everyone's at, God. I do believe, Lord, that there's got to be some like me today who, who this week was convicted with this idea of running. Lord, I pray that you press upon their heart like mine. To stop and to trust in the holy, righteous, and loving God. God, I pray you be with us as a church. God, help us to be intentional about reaching people. we have the answer that they so desperately need. God, I pray, I pray that you break our heart of hearts. Lord, help us to see the magnitude of your calling and all. You've called us to great things. 
Help us not to rest in mediocrity. Holy Spirit, work in your way. Give us the strength to respond. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask everyone if you could just go ahead and stand. And um, just because we have some visitors and people who haven't been here in a while, this is, this is how we do this, this. We kind of call this our time of invitation, if you will. And we're not asking anybody to walk forward to the front here in front of everybody and watch everybody stare at you and all that kind of stuff. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. And um, I believe the name of the song is Jesus is Better, right? Jesus is Better. And Keith and Parker are going to lead us in this song. And, and maybe you don't know the song. I mean, if you don't know, the words are going to be up on the screen. So if you know it, I mean, sing it. If you don't know it, maybe you just read those words and, and let it sink in. Maybe use this as a holy time. And after we sing this song, I'm, I'm going to come back up here. I'm going to ask, at that point, I'll ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes, and I'm going to ask a few questions then. But don't just start looking at your watch to figure out where, when we're going to get done and so how quickly we can get to a restaurant, which one we're going to go to. No, no. Spend some time with God. And if he's leading a decision, be courageous enough be strong enough to follow.